Amen. Well, again, my name is Benjer, and I'm glad you guys are here today. We are in a series where we are walking through the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is just one of the biographies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I have been loving this series, and some of you have heard this story. I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't grow up hearing these stories. Uh, some of you did grow up in church, whether it was diff- this one or a different one, and you know these stories, and sometimes, you know, it all becomes, you just kind of, yeah, I've heard that story, I know what's coming. When I started exploring who Jesus was, it was right after I graduated from high school. And because, um, you know, I'm kind of a proud person, like if I'm in Walmart, anybody else like this? If I'm in Walmart, I'm, I'm in Lowe's. In fact, I love Lowe's and Home Depot because if I'm there, I don't want to ask anybody for help and admit that I need help. I'll actually look up where an item is on my phone and where the, you know, the aisle. Anybody else like that? Don't like to talk to people? Yeah? Okay, some of you are honest, some of you aren't. So, When I started exploring who Jesus was, I had a good friend that I admired that was a follower of Jesus, but instead of asking him about Jesus and saying, hey, so what's, you know, what's going on with Jesus? I was too proud, so I grabbed a Bible and I started reading, and that summer after high school, I started in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, and I made it through the first part of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which talk about the ministry of Jesus. And I was super confused, quite honestly, but what intrigued me was when I got to Jesus and, and, and it kind of started clicking because if you want to know what God is like, you, you look at what Jesus did. Sometimes God is a mystery. And so for anybody here, if, if you're like, man, I'd love to dive in. I've never really read my Bible before. I don't really know where to start. Um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a great place to start. Then you can go back to the Old Testament and read the whole thing, but it's a great picture what we're doing this spring all the way through the beginning of April of, of who God is and, and what Jesus came to do and, and who he loved and what he taught. And the thing is, as we, as we dive in today, um, we're going to be looking at a scene where people were really start, trying to, you know, start to figure out who Jesus was. Like he, was he was super confusing. And you can make the point that people have been trying to figure out who Jesus was for the last 2,000 years, right? But what I mean by that is at this time that we're going to see this scene, Jesus had just kind of come on the scene not long before. You see, the, the, the crowds were amazed by Jesus' teaching. He wasn't like the other religious leaders. He was captivating. He seemed like he taught with authority. The religious leaders, they weren't sure what to think of him. They weren't sure that he, they liked him because Jesus didn't go through like the normal hierarchical kind of, you know, going up through the ranks to become a religious leader. He just kind of, boom, showed up on the scene and people were following him. So the religious leaders weren't really sure what to do with Jesus. And sometimes we hear these stories, and maybe what we're about to read today is a little bit familiar to you. But as we read this story today, I hope we'll approach it with kind of a a clean slate, almost as if we are experiencing it for the first time like the people who were around Jesus. Because one thing nobody ever said about Jesus was this. Oh yeah, I saw that coming. Oh totally, yeah, that's totally a Jesus thing to do. Because they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know what he was like. And he was always just, just totally blowing away people's expectations of what it was like to talk about God. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. You can pull out your Bible and flip there. We're going to start in verse 36. You can pull out your Bible app if that's the way that you want to do that. Um, You can also pull out a Bible underneath your seat. Maybe you forgot your Bible. Maybe you don't have one. There's a white Bible underneath your seat there. And what you can do is you can pull that out, turn to page 504. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take this one with you, write your name in it. That's what they're there for, and we'd love for them to walk out the door. We're going to be in verse 36, chapter 7. 
And here's the scene. One of the Pharisees, now remember a Pharisee is a religious leader that, that spent a lot of time, they were mostly in kind of the boonies in the rural areas of Israel. And what they would do is, is they were really kind of obsessed about following God and following his law. In fact, they were so obsessed with it where if God would like draw a line, if there was a law that God had put down and said, if you want to be obedient to me, don't cross this line, respect this boundary. They said, well, we don't even want to get anywhere close to the line, right? So we're going to back up and we're going to draw a new line. We're going to create a new rule so that nobody ever gets close over there, right? They were a lot of fun at parties. Yeah, there you go. Two of you got that. That was fantastic. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He invited Jesus over. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. They might be thinking, okay, I thought Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get along. You know, sometimes that was the case. In fact, most of the time. But there were times that Pharisees were, were curious about who Jesus was. In fact, a couple of Pharisees, Nicodemus and eventually Paul, became followers of Jesus. Now, as we'll see, this Pharisee is actually keeping Jesus at kind of arm's length. He wasn't really sure about him. You know, he respects him enough to invite him over for dinner. He was like, okay, so I think he's religiously pure enough and ceremonial pure enough that he can come over to my house for dinner. But he's not really sure what to do with Jesus. So he invites him over out of curiosity. And then in verse 37, Luke says, and behold. Now, that's Luke's term for wait till you get a hold of what happens next. This is crazy. A woman of the city who was a sinner, that'll become a really important label. This is not Luke's label for the woman. He's not making a judgment. He's simply repeating what other people in the town say about this woman, especially the religious leaders who were at this dinner. They would look at the woman and say, she is a sinner. What's implied here is she got that reputation probably by sleeping with people who weren't her husband and eventually even prostitution. And so she was labeled. And we all know what labels do, right? When you label somebody, you put them in a box and you keep them at a distance. This was her life. She was an outcast. A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, sometimes when we read these things, and, and, and you know, it's 2,000 years ago, we read something, well, that's really weird to us. And then we learn something about the culture, and then we learn something about the history, and we think, oh, okay, so this was kind of normal for their day and age, right? No, this was still weird. Everybody at the table, their jaws dropped. First of all, this woman was not invited or welcome into this Pharisee's home. Remember, she had this label. She was an outcast. She was other. She was a sinner. So she wasn't invited. And we don't really know her past. And, and as we'll see, Luke kind of does that on purpose. She just appears on the scene and she shows up at this dinner. She knows that Jesus is here and, and he's staying for dinner in this town. And so she, she goes and she has to meet him face to face. And she shows up and, and she doesn't have anything to bring him. What's clear is that something has happened, something has transpired where Jesus has totally altered her life for the better. And she is grateful. And maybe she went home and she hears that he's still around. She said, I didn't even say thank you. I don't even know what to do. And she hears that he's still around. I got to meet Jesus. Okay, so, so, so 
he's at a Pharisee's house. I'm not sure I should go, but this might be my only chance. i got to get to Jesus. And she wishes she could give him a gift. And she looks around her house, and there's this this small flask of oil on the shelf that's that's precious to her. And it's worth something. Maybe she's been saving it for a rainy day because they didn't have bank accounts. And so sometimes they would actually save expensive things in case they needed them. Maybe it was a gift from her grandmother or something like that. But she sees it, and she says, well, it's not much. It's worth something. It's all I have, but I'm going to bring it. And I don't know if she had a plan for for when she finally got to the Pharisee's house and saw Jesus. You ever have a a conversation that you want to have with somebody or you want to meet somebody or you want to, you know, you got to work yourself up for for a phone call. And you work yourself so up that by the time you get a hold of the person, you don't realize that at that point, you didn't even plan what you were going to say. I think it's where she was. I don't think she really had a plan other than just showing up. And if she did have a plan, it just goes out the window because the minute she arrives and she's at Jesus' feet, Jesus would have been facing the table. Perhaps she walked up from behind. He would have been laying on his left side and eating with his right hand so that it was free. And and other people would have been at the table, so his feet would have been a little bit behind him. And so as, as soon as she gets to his feet, the tears start flowing. Any plan she had just goes out the window. Her tears fall and she's bawling and it lands on, her, on, on Jesus' feet. And there, his feet are dusty. And the water, the tears, begin to mix with the dirt and become muddy. And she says, oh, no, no I've just made this mess. And so she looks around. She doesn't have a towel or anything to wipe his feet with. So she lets down her hair. Now, this was shocking, right? To us, oh, he just let down her hair, right? This would be like if somebody spilled some coffee out in the lobby on the table and, and a woman didn't have anything to clean it up with. She said, well, I'll just take off my shirt and I'm going to wipe it up with that. Or a guy said, oh, I'm just going to drop my pants and, and clean it up with that. It would be that shocking. Nobody can believe what is happening. And then she finishes it up by, by, by anointing his feet with the oil, the perfumed oil. In the span of about five minutes, She has managed to break every single social rule in the book. And why? Because something happened. She had an encounter with Jesus, and it overflows in her life and her emotions and her actions. Let me just hit time out for a moment. Let me just talk to the people in the room who would call themselves followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just here kicking the tires, uh, maybe a cute girl invited you or something like that, you're welcome to still listen in, but this is just for those who would call themselves followers of Jesus. Could it be that your expression of your relationship with Jesus, that your expression of faith is just a little bit too polite? Now, I'm not talking about being rude and obnoxious. Let's be honest. Christians are good at being rude and obnoxious sometimes, right? Especially when they're behind a keyboard in front of Facebook, right? That's not what I'm talking about. When was the last time your gratitude for Jesus and what he did in your life, your gratitude for what God has given you and what he has done in your life just overflowed, right? If you're not an emotional person or in that raising your hands at worship, I get that I'm not very emotional. Uh, when was the last time you were just talking about your weekend and you're talking about your family, and all of a sudden, before you knew it, you were just going on and on about what God had done in your life. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, can I invite you to church? I'm just so overwhelmed about what God has done in my life. It's incredible. 
Or maybe if you sit down maybe in, in the evening or maybe in the morning for, for just a time of quiet prayer and usually it's kind of dry and it's, it's you know, maybe five minutes and you're trying and you're sitting there and maybe reading some scripture and then one day you're just thinking about what God has done for you and, and, and five minutes turns into a half an hour, maybe an hour and you're just lingering because you're just so overwhelmed at what God has done for you. It doesn't have to, have to happen all the time but when was the last time you're just overwhelmed at what God has done in your life. Could it be that your expression, your faith, is just a little bit too polite? Well, back to the scene at the table. One person who was really annoyed at what was happening was the Pharisee. But we see his, his, his reaction to what is happening in verse 39 when he sees the woman and he sees the tears and, and Jesus isn't kicking her out. Ready? Right? Okay, if this person's a religious person, Jesus is going to know who this woman is and kick her out. No. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a, there's the label again, Sinner. I mean, if, if this Jesus guy, I was on the fence with this Jesus guy. I didn't know if he was really who, who people said he was. But I know he's not very religious. I know he's not close to God. There's no way he speaks for God because if he truly knew God, he wouldn't let this woman, this sinner, this filth touch him. He wouldn't acknowledge her. This religious leader is so sure that there's no way somebody who was close to God would associate with such a woman that he didn't think Jesus is who he said he was. Now, if you know Jesus at all, he was around a lot of different people, a lot of broken people with a lot of broken pasts. But the only time that sin ever riled him up was when it came from a self-righteous, judgmental point of view. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're here again, you're kicking the tires. You're like, yeah, I, I get tired of, of self-righteous people too. Well, you and Jesus are in the same boat. But Jesus doesn't just go off on Simon, on this Pharisee. Instead, he tells a story. And I think not just for Simon's benefit, not for the Pharisee's benefit, but for the people in the room. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, verse 40, we finally learn his name. Jesus addresses him by name. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain moneylender, Jesus says, has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Now, a denarius was about worth one day's labor for a day laborer. So somebody who would work in the fields or, 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 or uh, did some other kind of manual labor, they would be paid a denarius for their day. So somebody who owed 500 denarii owed about a year and a half worth of wages. They would have to work for a whole year and a half with no other expenses in order to pay it off. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. Somebody was way in debt, almost hopeless. 50 denarii, that's, that's quite a bit of money. I mean, that's like a little less than two months of wages. That's quite a bit of money. Probably can't pay it back. But, but we're not talking as hopeless as the other situation. 
Who's going to love the moneylender more for forgiving them this debt? Simon says, well, I guess i got to give the right answer because everybody's listening. I want to tell Jesus off, but I can't do that. So, all right, yeah, the one who owed him more. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Simon, this is what explains the difference between how the woman has responded to me and how you've responded to me. He says this, verse 44, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. It was basic hospitality at this time, especially for somebody like a Pharisee who has some standing and probably had some servants, that when somebody entered your house, uh, their feet were usually dirty. And so you would wash their feet, or if you had a servant, the servant would wash their feet before dinner. Jesus was kept at arm's length, not even shown this basic honor and hospitality. You gave me no kiss. You didn't greet me in our customary way. But from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. That's important at this point. What Jesus is not saying is that, okay, this woman was worse than you, so she had to be forgiven more. No, what what Jesus is doing is exposing Simon's thinking. He's pointing out Simon's own opinion of himself. And his own opinion is this. This woman is a sinner. She is worse off. She has a long ways to go before she can get back to God. Simon, he'd say, listen, I'm not perfect. Who's perfect, right? Sometimes I snap at my kids, right? Sometimes I, I don't do what I should do. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than this woman, Jesus tells this story to expose Simon's own opinion of himself. Then Jesus goes on and for the first time addresses the woman directly in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is important, that her faith has has saved her. Because remember, Jesus said, her sins, which are many, were forgiven, for she loved much. What he's not saying is, because she loved much, her sins were forgiven. Now, remember, the point of the story was, somebody was forgiven, and then they loved much. And what Jesus is saying is, look at this woman. Anybody can see that she has been forgiven. Anybody can see that her brokenness has been healed. Anybody can see that she has had an encounter with God and she knows she is loved and she knows she is accepted. Anybody can look at this woman's life and know that her life has been changed by God for she loves much. And the scene's over. Luke, seriously, Luke, Luke, that's, that's it? Did you forget something, right? Did your file get lost on the Microsoft Word or whatever you use to type this out, you know, your scroll? Did you forget about autosave because you're missing something at the end? What happened? Luke, what happened? Luke was a companion of the disciples. Luke, did they not tell you what happened afterwards when you wrote this down? How does Simon react? What does everybody say around the table? 
What does a woman do afterwards? See, Luke, I think very intentionally, just tells us about the scene. He doesn't tell us about the woman's background. And if we heard her background, no doubt we would hear a story of brokenness and of hurt, maybe abuse, maybe a string of events where she was treated as somebody who was worthless, and then she began to take that and own that and make her own choices. So she gets to the point where she's sleeping with men in order to buy bread. She doesn't think she's worth anymore. Maybe she wants to go back to God, but she thinks she's too far gone to be able to. We don't know. I'm just speculating. We don't know what happened before or after. And I think Luke does this to point something out very clearly. There are two possible outcomes. There's two outcomes in this story. Because there are two people who met Jesus. The woman and Simon the Pharisee. The possible outcome, number one, is to be like the woman. We don't know what brought her to Jesus. We don't know if maybe Jesus had been in town that day, like was his custom, and, and she met him, or maybe she just heard them and realized, God does love me. He does accept me, despite my brokenness. She responds with overflowing and overwhelming gratitude. Not because she has done anything, but because of what Jesus has done for her. Possible outcome number two. Be like Simon the Pharisee. Remember, Simon's opinion of himself was that he wasn't that bad. Simon's opinion of himself is, listen, me and God, we're good. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as her. That was Simon's mistake. <laughs> he had pulled everybody in that room, asked them their opinion. Okay, who is the greatest failure in this room? Most of them would have, would have pointed to the woman. They would have said, that woman, do you see what she does? That's why we label her. That's why we, we don't associate with her. There's no hope for her. But the real failure was Simon. Because Simon met Jesus that day too. And Simon's reaction was very different. See, we have two choices. When we are face-to-face with the gospel, when we are face-to-face with Jesus and what he did for us, we can respond with gratitude, like the woman. We say, God, no, I'm good. I don't really need you. She needs you. They need you. The person who, insert your pet sin, they need you. Me? No. I live in South Davis County. Have you seen my yard? I mean, I got an HOA. It looks nice, I tell you what. I don't need you. God, thanks. They need you. Two possible outcomes to having met Jesus. And here's the thing. If, if you choose outcome number two, this is what it looks like. Did you notice who Simon criticized? He criticized two people. First, he criticized the woman. From the minute she walked in, I can't believe this woman. She expected Jesus to be on the same page as him and kick her out. No, don't touch me, woman. But no. And he judged her and he criticized her. Church, Flourishing Grace, listen. May we never be the kind of place that criticizes people who need Jesus. 
May we never be the kind of place that looks at somebody else's sin, somebody else's lifestyle, somebody else's brokenness and say, man, what a mess, stay over there. May we never be the kind of place, and if we are, God forgive us. May this be the kind of place where brokenness is welcome, where messes are welcome, no matter what form they come in, because that is no different than the mess you or I have in our life. We are all in the same need of grace and in the same need of a Savior. The other person Simon criticized was Jesus. Did you notice that? I can't believe he would let this woman touch Sometimes that's how it shows up. Sit back. Cross your arms. <laughs> and you criticize those around. Maybe you criticize those in your small group. Maybe you criticize what's going on here at Flourishing Grace. And you criticize those who are serving your kids and, and those who are leading small groups. And you, you criticize the, the leaders. Now listen, I'm not talking about times which in my life has surely happened. There have been times as a leader, as a pastor, when I've done something wrong, where I have been unkind or unwise and, and not led well, and somebody's had to call me on it, and I've had to apologize. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sitting on the sidelines. So, I can't believe they did it that way. Can you believe they did that song? And instead of rolling up your sleeves, you criticize those who are digging in and trying to serve Jesus. Rather... And rolling up your sleeves, offering your time and your resources, and getting our hands dirty. A judgmental heart is a critical heart. And it's possible, hear me well, this is somebody in this room, it's possible to sit in one of these chairs in a room like this week after week and not truly know the grace of Jesus. I'm not trying to scare you. If you know Jesus, if you know you're broken, you know things are bad, but you know God accepts you, then you know the gospel. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel is this. We'll have it up on the screen here. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Things are worse than you imagine. If you think you're bad, you're probably worse. Sorry to tell you. Whatever your opinion of yourself is, it's probably too high. But the flip side is true. You don't think you're worth loving. Things are better. You are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you could ever dare dream. The woman probably only believed the first part of this before she met Jesus. She knew things were bad and there's no way God accepts her. But then she met Jesus and both pieces came into clear view. Things were just as bad and maybe even worse than she thought, but she was more loved or accepted than she ever dared dream. Simon, in his critical heart, he thought the second part was true, right? I'm good. Yeah, God accepts me. God loves me. Hello. God's calling. God accepts me. God loves me. Calls me on the phone, right? I don't need God. God and I are already good. If you don't believe the first part, then you don't really need God. And many times in our critical heart, a judgmental heart is a critical heart, it's because we don't believe things are all that bad. It's those messes that need Jesus. 
It's that woman who needs Jesus. It's that guy that needs Jesus, right? And you cross your arms and sit back. Criticize everyone around you. That's what it looks like to be Simon the Pharisee. So the question is this. Which of the two outcomes is it going to be for you? When you see Jesus face to face, when you understand that he offers his forgiveness, that he died for, there's that label again, sinners. Are you going to count yourself among the failures? Are you going to count yourself among the sinners and say, yes, Jesus came for me? Or are you going to say, no thanks God, I'm good? Now, some of you are smart, hopefully all of you, and you've realized Maybe there's a third category of, of, of people who, who just don't think they're good enough for God. And say, so, yes, I know I'm broken, but I got to, as soon as I clean myself up, as soon as I get to this point, as soon as I stop doing this, as soon as I stop looking at porn, as soon as I kick this habit, as soon as I, 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 I clean up these things, then I can come to God. You're saying the same thing that Simon did. No, no God, I'm good right now. I don't need you right now. I'm going to keep you at arm's length. Today, February, today, January 28th, is a great day to say yes to Jesus and to realize and say, yes, God, I know things are worse than I ever imagined, and God, I am sorry for that, but God, I believe that things are better, that I am more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ because of what he did for me on the cross, and three days later, he rose again. I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. Today is a great day to say yes to Jesus. Maybe when you walked in this room, you were like the woman before she met Jesus. And things are bad. And God has forgotten about me. God has not forgotten about you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to die for you. And you are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. Your trust in him and what he did for you on the cross. Maybe you're sitting in the seat and you realize you're Simon the Pharisee. Thought you were good with God, but you've never really believed that you were broken. You never really admitted that things are worse than you ever dared believe and then actually reached out to Jesus for his forgiveness. I had a a mentor when I first became a pastor. And he started going to church because his wife, he got married, his wife wanted him to go to church. Some of you have been in that boat. And he went to church and he impressed people enough and he played the part long enough that he eventually part of the church board. All this before he actually met Jesus. He stood in a church. He sat in a church. He served in a church for years. But it wasn't for a couple of decades that he finally said yes to Jesus and admitted that he had need of the forgiveness and the grace he heard about every single week. There's two options. When you meet Jesus face to face, Will you respond with gratitude because you know what he has done for you? You don't have all the answers. You know you're just going to mess up again tomorrow, but you know what Jesus has done for you, so you rest in that alone. You're going to respond like Simon. Say, hey, no thanks. I got this. But Jesus, you came for those people. You didn't come for me. And we as a community of followers of Jesus here at Flourishing Grace Church, May we never stop to 
telling people about the Jesus who welcomes sinners at his feet. Even if it's a mess, even if it's an inconvenient time, even if we don't know what to do. May we always point people to the Jesus who loves the broken. Because nobody else is as big of a mess as you and me. We are all in need of Jesus and his grace. Let me pray for us. God, for the times when I am critical and I, for the times when I believe somebody else is a bigger mess than I am, for the times when I believe somehow in my heart that I've got it all together and I don't need you, forgive me. For the times I don't live this out, for the times when I am ungrateful, the times when I'm just a little bit too polite and I don't express my gratitude and my honor of you because of what you've done in my life, God, I am sorry. God, may we be the place, the kind of place that makes much of Jesus, not because we are so great, but because we know our brokenness, but we know we are loved and accepted in him. Take these truths, put them in our heart, put them in our communities, into our small groups. May you make a mess of our small groups. May you make a mess of our dinner tables. May you make a mess of our Sunday mornings. May you make a mess of our workplaces and our schools and our families, God, because we are all a mess. And and may people come into our lives who need to know Jesus. And may we respond and say, me too. I'm a mess too. Help me to know grace and the love of Jesus and let me come alongside you. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. May it be shared freely here. In Jesus' name we pray and let all the people say, amen. Please stand and sing with us one more time.